Hey, Ray, how you feeling? You know, when the temperatures drop and we get that winter feeling things, it really affects me more. That's when I get that aching in my bones. But I found that CBD and medicinal together can take care of the majority of my aches and pains. The ones that, you know, you have every day as you age, but also the ones that you get from all those activities of taking care of business in the fall. No kidding. I've been doing a lot of raking because we have so many old trees around our house that you rake one day and then two days later... The yard's filled up with leaves again, so it's a Think never of it ending. as a workout program. <laughs> it totally is a workout program, but like you, the CBD with the medicinal makes a huge difference in relieving pain and allowing me to function normally. And that's why we're happy to have One CBD as our sponsor here on the podcast. Uh, go to onecbd.com. That's O N E C B D.com. Or follow them on at onecbd life on Twitter. And you can find out about all the aspects of what One CBD does to help you with your pain. One of the things that I like the most, Marcus, is that everything they purchase to be used in their CBD is 100% organically grown hemp free from pesticides and fertilizers, and that's important because it's important to know what you put in your body. I also like the fact that they're third-party lab tested and made in the USA. Because they're third-party lab tested, we know that there is some science backing up and making sure that what they're putting out is high quality and it's made right here in the USA, so jobs are provided. That science it's the science of nano emulsion. I don't know what it is, but it sounds impressive. And they know what it is, and they know how to take care of business when it comes to your pain. At 1CBD, check them out online at 1CBD.com. O-N-E-C-B-D.com. Achieve a renewed sense of balance. This is a special re-release of an early episode of the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll. Ray Coob here with you, my partner in crime, for all these crazy episodes we've done. Hey, it's Marcus in the Darkest, and yes, we'll continue to get crazy as we move forward. We can guarantee you that. How are you? I'm doing good. And you had a good idea about replaying this episode for everybody this week. Yeah, we were looking at the downloads, and it's an episode that we both really liked recording so that people who are listening to us via the Pantheon Network or one of these platforms maybe hasn't heard. So, And we've seen a lot of people who've shown interest in this episode, so we thought now would be a good time and bring you a classic episode. It's one of our early, one of our first 20 episodes, uh, all about our be in the 70s redux on the imbalanced history of rock and roll Hey, welcome to episode 12 of your favorite new podcast, The Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. I'm Ray Koo with my partner in crime, Marcus in the Darkest. Hello, Marcus. We're digging into the 70s this week. I like the 70s. Such I like rhythm and blues. I like rhythm and blues in the 70s. And all it became, it was awesome. Except for one offshoot that you don't like. Disco? Yep. How'd you know? Because we keep mentioning your dislike of disco. I love disco. But I know it, and I can talk about it. Absolutely. Uh, especially even here on the uh, podcast, so I'm glad to do it. But We were um, force-fed it. Well, you know, we kind of, I had little choice. Being a kid from Philadelphia, it was on all the radio stations. 
all my life, listened to everything. You listen to everything because it was all there on the AM top 40s. And in the 70s, everything, uh, radio uh, became f- more formatted. Um, the music styles were formatted away from each other, creating a divide that I don't think needed to be there. Um, but it's what the consultants decided. Yeah, because... It definitely split up many of the branches of the rock and roll family tree. I would say that there are some things that were very confused that were on the border. Not sure where they belonged or whether they belonged anywhere at some of them at some point. Yeah. But then again, if they didn't belong anywhere, then they belonged in rock and roll. You make perfect sense, my friend. <laughs> yeah. Can we start with a topic uh, or a starting point that we've talked about before in Motown? Yes. Because they had their challenges. As a, as a label, uh, transitioning from their start in the uh, late 50s, early 60s, and um, the turn of the uh, the calendar to the 70s, things really did change, and some of their artists changed with it, some didn't. Like, look at The Temptations, right? All those great Smokey Robinson songs, all those Holland Dozier Holland songs, and suddenly the the mood was different, and they were doing Ball of Confusion, and Papa was a Rolling Stone, songs that made statements, which we talked about before, how Marvin, Marvin Gaye, uh, was somebody who started to make statements in the music. Stevie Wonder did the same, too. Another artist that I wanted to talk about here, because look at what Stevie's transition was in the 70s, and how full-blown he became as who he really is, because of what was going on in the 70s in the atmosphere. Look at Diana Ross and the Supremes, and without the Supremes, because by the end of the uh, into the seventies, she st- she was on a solo act, and and uh, you got to look at the Jackson family too. They started as the Jackson Five, then they were the Jacksons because Michael went solo, and there's a bit of that, and how Motown uh, transitioned through the turn of the decade, artificial or not, it was a real change in era uh, from the sixties to the seventies. That was a that was a political and social climactic thing that caused that drastic shift. Well, sure, things were things that had happened in the fifties and sixties created the beginnings of real change in the sixties. So by the seventies, people were starting to find other causes in addition to the causes that continue to be necessary and and relevant today. You know, so uh, people started bringing in more about well, you know, the environment. Mm-hmm. They were concerned about human sexuality. And the the sexual revolution was underway and people were addressing it in song like they do with most things. Artists reflect their times. Equality for all was a very big one. I mean, we had Woodstock. We had the Summer of Love. We had all that crazy stuff in 69. Yeah, and then you had Manson and fucked it all up, right? Yeah. You had Altamont. Manson and Altamont. You know, really, you, they, the it took the whole, took, it took the shine off the apple. Uh, no Beatles pun intended. And in, in, in the 70s, um, you know, started out uh, with a different mindset, but in a lot of ways, one that was even more hopeful and positive for the future because of the uh, because of the possibilities. We'll get to this as well, but the rock and roll shifted greatly too into the seventies right. because of Zeppelin and because of the Allman Brothers and because of Sabbath and because of some of those bands that were all so key during that time. Everything changes. And there was a lot that was changing at the end of the 1960s into the 1970s. Hell, 1969, we put a man on the moon. By the 70s, the first couple of years of the 70s, we were doing it regularly. Things like that, you know. But the music, which drives so much in our lives, uh, uh, the culture, 
uh, being reflected, the times being reflected. Uh, Motown had a change and change they did. Uh, and they did it, they kept up successfully for a long time, I thought. But there was a new breeze blowing, and it was happening right here in my hometown where I was born, Philadelphia. And um, as much as I know you love the, the Philly sound, um, I also know that to have grown up in it, immersed in it, uh, the, the joint efforts of Gamble and Huff and the musical giants uh, that they worked alongside with, uh, the records that were made in Philadelphia, uh, the advent of Philadelphia International Records, you know, all these things created an atmosphere. We've talked about different times and places where the atmosphere is right for the artists. And this was it for R&B right here in Philadelphia. I grew up listening to a lot of these sounds. My parents were big into the R&B and the soul sounds of Motown. Now, of growing Stax. up out there in Denver, there's a song that was actually the jump on point. It was uh, Kenny Gamble was working with uh, a guy named Ross. And they were writing partners. And this song uh, was written by Gamble and Ross and Huff. They collaborated. And he met Leon on a session for Candy and the Kissers, I think. Um, and they, they were inseparable after that. But the song by Jay and the Techniques called I'm Going to Make You Love Me. Do you know that song? I do not know that See, song. I may have heard, I may recognize it if I've heard it, mm-hmm. but I can't think of that song off the top of my head. But see, growing up in Philadelphia, this stuff was on the radio. Like the week it came out, all these great records were happening here. So they were all on the radio and things I can't, I'm asking because I really need to know. Like, am I that? Having lived here almost my whole life, that maybe centric on it. I don't know. Maybe it. Maybe you got more of it on the Northeast Corridor here between New York and Philadelphia. Because I know in our top forty in rock radio, we also had stuff like uh, the soft schlocky rock in the early seventies. Yeah. Yeah. We also had a lot of country, Crystal Gale, Alabama. Well, they were getting I mean, off the. I mean, I know we're, they were but, getting off the horse. I know we're getting off the horse, but in Colorado, you had. I mean. It was, di- it was, was a little it, yeah. different in that area. Sure, sure. So, Well, Gamble and Huff, it wasn't long before they started getting things right. And they did uh, their big first hit, which put Philly on the map. Uh, Soul Survivors, Expressway to Your Heart. Uh, it was for their own record label. And they started to produce records for other people in town and artists who weren't from in town, including one of your favorites, Wilson Pickett and Archie Bell and the Drells. All those guys, they were becoming hot producers. So uh, they decided, you know what? We could make our own thing, and that's when they formed Philly International Records. And it it wasn't like this giant, like, oh, my God, because they weren't yet that big. But in Philly, everybody knew what Philly International was. They knew what it was. They knew what it sounded like. They knew what it tasted like. They knew what it meant. And Clive Davis, very smart man, was smart to get involved with Kenny and Leon on that venture. And he also brought in what was their wrecking crew, the MFSB. They, they, they had a crew of people who would play on all these different records. Some of them, if you look at the list I printed out for you, buddy, you're going to recognize some of those names. Um, but there's some of them like you're not going to know. Like my, uh, TJ Tyndall's on that list. He just passed away a few years ago. These guys, uh, you know, Charles Collins, Bobby Eli, John Davis, these guys played on all these records, Tom Bell arranged and pr- helped produce so many of these records. So these were like the Philadelphia musicians from Philadelphia. International. Yeah, like the Funk Brothers in yeah. Detroit. You had yeah. the MFSB, which stood like for Mother, Father, Son, bro- or Sister, Brother. 
which was a collective, and they actually had a hit. You remember the Sound of Philadelphia? Yes. TSOP, TSOP. man. TSOP. It was top of the charts. Yep. And, you know, they had people like Patti LaBelle and the OJs, Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes, which led to Teddy as a solo act, and uh, Billy Paul and Lou Rawls. And we've been, how many times have we mentioned Billy Paul and me and Mrs. Jones since oh, we started this podcast, you know? Um, so... That was the, the, the crux of it. And then they brought in, it attracted other artists to come to Philly. It contributed greatly to the luster of Sigma Studios, uh, Sigma Sound over in, uh, in 12th yeah. and Arch, and uh, really uh, put Philly in a different place as far as all this was concerned. Yeah. I mean, bands like you mentioned the OJs, Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes, the Spinners, yeah. Archie Bell and the Drells, Billy Paul, the Reverend Al Green was another big influence. Um, and a big guy, like the Talking Heads covered out. Well, it's the continue, a lot of the artists continued from their beginnings in the late 60s. Some didn't, uh, some did, some didn't make it to the 70s. But those that did mostly were found themselves to be in really pretty good shape as long as they, uh, hadn't done my dingling. So we'll just leave it with that. But and it, Barry White. And then you start to get Barry Rob's just going to say Barry White and then Cool and the Gang, Sly and the Family Stone, keep, keep rolling. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the Commodores, Confunction, Brothers Johnson, Ohio Players, and then the spinoff from uh, Philly International, the South Soul Orchestra. They oh had a hit God. record, too. Some of the gang decided to move on to their own and became the South Soul Orchestra, a new label. So. Heat Wave is in there. Parliament Funkadelic Well, is that's a whole other thing. No, r and b since the 40s, 50s, and 60s, had kind of gotten kind of an organized thing. They had charts. And they had their label network, they had their, their network for shows until things got integrated. Black folks didn't have any choice. They, If they wanted to be performers, they had to do what they, they were going to do. And that's what they did. What this did was by the time we got to 1970, all, so much had changed. So it, it led to change. It led to soul and South Soul. It led to funk and P-Funk. And yes, it led to disco. But uh, let's talk a little bit about the funk, though. Because the funk was there, and it's just, you know, you get some enterprising guys like, you know, George and and his gang in Parliament, they, they kind of, it was a natural ele- evolution to go from being Parliament to being Parliament Funkadelic. When things really started getting interesting, though, is when they, uh, when they took it to a whole other place with P-Funk, right? Yes. You know, it, we all knew this was just George in another level and the influence on the music that's happened in the last 45 50 years or 45 years because of parliament funkadelic and p-funk is unmeasurable it's unmeasurable mm-hmm. um so much doesn't happen if they don't happen if they don't make it happen because there were guys who were laying the you know the the, the the groundwork and even a couple of them crossed over like sly and the family stone but look what happened to sly yeah if it wasn't for his problems, they would probably have been riding high just like Clinton's been for these past 45 years. I'd be willing to bet money he had a little bit of bipolar schizophrenia mixed something in Something going with on that. Because there's something, because yeah. he's such a genius. I mean, Rick James isn't mentioned in here, and he was big in the studios. And I'm going to, at some point, talk about him, because Come Get It ended the 70s pretty much in 79. And Mary Jane and you and I. Can we just, that not that that's disco, but can we no, lump it in there? Absolutely. Because there was other stuff going on, too. Yeah. There was all, and this is this is exploring within the R&B overall genre, right? Yeah, the jazz funk thing. I mean, even Miles Davis got into it. You got Herbie Hancock and the Headhunter. 
uh, turned a whole lot of suburban kids onto some sounds that they hadn't heard before. Soul music became big again, yeah. based off the gospel, right? Mm-hmm. But you had all these big hit records. You mentioned Al Green, and you had Aretha, and the Staples Singers made this huge comeback. Johnny Taylor, Bobby Womack. you know, and the continued success of a lot of the Motown singers delving into soul. Smokey Robinson was always about soul. Yeah. They just didn't call that in 1961 or 62. Yeah. Um, a lot of people had you had soul. You were a soul brother, but you didn't talk about soul music. I guess it's like grew out of that and somebody decided they started calling their records that and Curtis Mayfield and you know a lot of the the, the P-Funk owes everything back to James Brown if you think about it because that was the funk you know the, the never ending funk and so then you know then all these new groups come out right you got you know Earth, Wind and Fire and War and the white boy gets involved talking about Hall and Oates yeah Blue-eyed soul, blue-eyed soul, Philly, blue-eyed soul, and Philly's connection to to soul music and, and R and B made it a natural thing for them, and it's because it came to them naturally. If you grew up listening to the Delphonics and all those groups, you you had that in your head, you had that sound in your head. Now, whether you could personally recreate it and sing like that, create those kind of songs and harmonies, is a whole nother matter altogether. But how can you mention? Any of these artists, all of these artists, not to mention a handful more that I'm about to bring up to owe their their life directly to Soul Train without mentioning Don Cornelius and Soul Train. It was integral to our mass experience of R&B and soul music in the 70s. It got everybody into it. It crossed all those lines. And Don Cornelius was just the coolest guy on TV. You know, he was like he was like the cool Dick Clark. Yeah, he was. He was way cooler than Dick Clark. Yeah. And that's not a knock on Dick Clark. Dick Clark was cool, but Don Cornelius was way cooler. I remember watching Soul Train because the music was so good and the dancing was fantastic. Yes. It really was. Just so much more fun to watch than Bandstand. We need to do an episode just about Soul Train and um, Bandstand. Bandstand. Okay. Or all the TV shows, yeah, the national we do, do TV and stuff. And MTV and all that. Hey, Ray, you know what episode we have not done yet? That episode about Soul Train and American Bandstand that we were just talking about in the first half of this episode? Is that the one you're talking about? That is exactly the one I'm talking about. And I'm thinking that with 2021 ahead, we might have a little extra time to watch some old episodes of Soul Train and American Bandstand to refresh our memories. Speaking of refreshing, let's hear from our... Our sponsors are Crooked Eye on this redo episode of The Imbalance History. I was talking to Paul and Pete, man, and they want to offer a special thank you to all of the listeners of The Imbalance History of Rock and Roll. What kind of special are you talking about? Everybody likes free beer, Marcus. How about a free 10-ouncer when you go in and mention The Imbalance History of Rock and Roll when you sit down and order your first drink? Free 10-ouncer, yes. Some of the most amazing brews you're going to find at any brewery in the Philadelphia area right there at York and Montgomery in the heart of Hatboro. We're talking about Crooked Eye Brewery. Pouring the cure for what ails you since 2014. My favorite of all the Crooked Eye beers is the Black Eye Stout. I love that Oh, yeah, you love that. that. Yes, you do. So smooth and just so full of flavor. Jeff manages to get more flavor. And the way he kind of masks the edge on the hops is, oh, beautiful. And you can't beat 
going in, sitting down, saying, hey, I listened to the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. May I please have that free 10-ouncer? <laughs> free beer. Why not stop in and get a growler, a pint, a crowler? Take some home with you. And don't forget, the entertainment's back. It's coming back in stages. There's more and more stuff going on. And find out what events are back and when they are. It's Crooked Eye Brewery. On Facebook. Right in the heart of Hatboro, the cure for what ails you. And a free 10 ouncer when you mention the imbalanced history of rock and roll, and we thank them for their support. It's a re release of our episode about R&B in the 70s, and it's a great conversation. So let's get back to it, Marcus. So you mentioned a couple of the acts that come along in the late 70s, and you've also got, you know, continuation of people like, you know, Smokey Robinson and Earth, Wind, and Fire and the Commodores, and then you get. Jeffrey Osborne, Peebo Bryson, mm-hmm. right? Oh, Jeffrey I thought Osborne, it was Chaka Khan, Larry Graham, Rufus. and everything Larry Graham did, he fell out of Sly and the Family Stone, started Graham Central Station, kind of turned the whole thing on its ear and started doing his own thing. Frankie Beverly and Mays, another Philly group that everybody loved around here, and they continue to break out. But, you know, we haven't mentioned one man. Who might that be? That Isaac Hayes is a bad mother. Shut your mouth. I'm just talking about Isaac Hayes. He was massive, man. Huge. He, at a time when um, Marvin and Stevie and others were starting to sing about cause-related things, um, the neo-progressive ties that yeah. you've talked about, he was there. He had already been around, but starting with you know 1970, the Isaac Hayes movement. Now, some people thought that was pretty bold for a guy. Well, that was huge knots at that time. Huge yeah. stones. And then followed it with To Be Continued. And then came Black Moses. And I just, all I could tell you, before he started going disco in his later years, I just didn't think there was any guy who was more badass than Isaac Hayes. And the fact that he, you know, wrote the music for Shaft and, you know, did all that stuff. But look at, I printed it out so we could look at this. His his accomplishments, uh, playing in the, playing himself in the movies, playing characters in the movies, uh, got a nominee and a win for best music for original song for the theme to Shaft. Um, got himself BAFTA awards for all this stuff. You know the British Oscars. Um, a lot of it was was around the Shaft uh, movie, but he put himself into a dimension that artists, not to mention African American artists, had not been put into uh, very very often, where they were crossing all the genres and medium, and and doing film and doing TV, and then of course later he became Chef. Yep. which was one of the coolest things I ever thought that somebody in his position in the universe could do. Just go be the cafeteria chef on South Park. Oh, my God. Fucking that's so A, man. Best role to wind your career down ever. And and he did that for a long time. And I just didn't, didn't think we could go through the episode without giving all hail to the great Isaac Hayes. Well, you have to give him props. He was huge. His influence on the 70s was monstrous. Well, he made it okay to do the Barry one thing. Yep. You could go in there and you know go way low oh, and yeah. way soft and still be strong. Oh yeah, and uh, a lot of people owe a lot to Isaac Hayes. Oh, so. absolutely. And it's funny that you mentioned that his direction was so different than the progressive soul direction of Marvin and Stevie, who were totally politically entrenched into the times. Right. The conflict was really upsetting to Marvin Gaye. He personally had a hard time dealing with all of the conflict and the hate. 
and yeah, well, it led to what's going on. Really, yeah. you know, he was really that wasn't like some kind of positioning statement. That's really how he felt, man. Oh yeah, no, he wrote those albums in the seventies. That's the way love is. What's going on? He did the Trouble Man soundtrack and Let's Get It On, which are a four wallopers of peaceful love soul and progressive soul and how he evolved. And then, of course, this year they released the Year the Man record, which was the lost record from seventy two, which is off the charts i gotta get a copy of that from you i, I mean really i gotta get you a copy of yeah. it because it is so damn good and it is so marvin gay and it is it's a concept album and it's the way it should be the strength of his early 70s records really helped to keep motown in the forefront and keep their them in stature at the same time think about it man they were making the most over-the-top cool creative music of their careers yeah. a lot of them did there's a couple of uh, good album series out, like the Soul Hits of the 70s, which is like a 40-disc collection on like Rhino or one of those, and I can't remember the exact label that it's on, but it gives you a feel for what the music was like in the 70s, everything from mm-hmm. Carl Carlton to Barry White to Billy Paul to all of them are on there. They all have yeah. songs on there, and it really lets you feel the evolution of soul from the early 70s into the later 70s as disco came along but it also oh it's funny you should mention disco but it also gives you a good feel for the sign of the times i think when you hear one of those albums you know you're listening to 1972 absolutely you know and when you hear saturday night fever Night Fever and all the songs from Greece, you know, you're listening to 1977. You know, everybody thinks that it all happened right overnight, but no. Truth is, like anything in music, uh, disco had been bubbling up in the clubs. Nobody knew about it because they didn't know about what was going on in the clubs. This is before all the club DJs reported the services and stuff like that. People were just doing what they were doing. And in New York... There was this burgeoning scene, um, you know, the, basically it's the names you know in association with it, you know, the the village people, and Thelma Houston, Casey and the Sunshine Band, Sheik, who mm-hmm. uh, had, you know, started to break out at that point. And then you had people like the Bee Gees, who were already an established name, who kind of got right into the rhythm of doing Saturday Night Fever. Uh, they transitioned. They, they actually transitioned through that. But then you had new names that you didn't know before, Gloria Gaynor and Donna Summer and, and, and so many more talented people who made great records. It just wasn't my cup of tea. You know what I'm saying? Saturday Night Fever was on, uh, I was a little baby DJ over at 89.3 in Warminster uh, back then. And Saturday Night Fever was number one for so many weeks. My friend Metal Mike uh, was the, he it was assistant manager, I think, at Music Scene. And so he knew what was what on the Billboard charts immediately. And then one day he comes in with Jerry Rafferty, City to City, and says, this is the album that knocked Saturday Night Fever out of number one. And it took a long time. It was so big. It was everywhere. It was the style. It was the rhythm, especially in the cities. I think it was the the life. And it, they made it seem glamorous to be there. You know, Studio 54 was mythological to the disco oh, yeah. people in other cities. Did you go? Go where? To Studio 54 ever? No. I When all that was going on, I was just approaching drinking age. So okay. and I but had, did you go after you became legal, even though it was on no, the end of the? No, I cheered when Steve Dahl blew up disco records at White Sox Park, and 
in the 78 or 79 he did that i, I that. cheered that i remember yeah it was yep. pretty cool uh but no it was it was the really it was the for me it, it wasn't the venue or that it was that the music wasn't appealing and what i've learned later was that when you have the right dj and the music is appealing in a club it's a way better experience and studio 54 was gone they got caught up in well first they had the whole drug subculture mm. issue which led to tax issues which yeah. led to all kinds of issues and they, the place was closed but that was like for the beautiful people was the place to be seen especially mm. in new york and uh, every city seemed to have its own discos and uh, people there was a whole scene with that and there's a ton of people who have uh children mm-hmm. and grandchildren who um who Cling to that as their nostalgia, and that's cool. Cool, whatever makes you happy, wherever you are in your life. You know, it just wasn't for me at the time. But I'm looking at this list, man. I'm telling you, listed that I printed out of the hundred greatest R and B songs of the '70s. And you know, when you take songs that are as great as "Higher Ground" from Stevie Wonder or um, uh, "This Will Be" from Natalie Cole, and and they're in the '80s and '90s. You know, this will be his '70s. yeah, and Brick House, but I mean, the, the, where they are on the char- the top yeah. 100 songs like that, like Brick House or Higher Ground, are all the way down in the 80s and 90s and 100s. And then you look at the top of the list. What's going on? Yep, let's get it on. Two Marvin Gaye ballads, Al Green at the top, at the top, and he makes a bunch of other appearances yeah. too. Shaft is number nine. Yeah, Gladys There's, Knight. 10. Oh, look, number six, me and Mrs. Jones. Mrs. Jones. Look at that solo. Teddy Pendergrass in here, some Curtis Mayfield, Superfly. Yeah. I mean, Papa was a Rolling Stone. Oh, The Temptations! What a legendary Superfly. song! Yeah, um, but you know, you look at all these songs, and then you still yeah, see some of the standbys. The Isley Brothers are still in there, and, and some of the other you know, artists through the years. Yeah, I know, man. Because of the, I'll be around by the Spinners. One of the songs uh, that best defines growing up here in Philadelphia in the de- back in the day, "Living for the City" from Stevie Wonder, uh, Roberta Flack. Tell me something good from Chaka and Rufus. They were yeah. that was on the radio every two hours at one point, and that was after FM was in play. Uh, back, Killing me softly. My yeah, mom is yeah. a huge Roberta Flack. She's she uh, first time ever I saw your face. I love for that the song. love of money from you. Yeah. You know, just things like that. Man. September like Earth, that. Wind and Fire. That song's brilliant. Got to be real. Cheryl Lynn, a one hit wonder, but still incredible. Shame. By Evelyn Champagne King. I know. Rapper's Delights. Seriously, Rapper's Delights right there. George Benson. Anything by George Benson is really badass. I wish Stevie Wonder. Strawberry Letter 23, baby. It's a Shame by the Spinners. Oh, my God. I'm going to go listen to all this stuff later. Chic, Good Times. I remember getting those on 45 and buying the Chic album. And then you have uh, the Doobie Brothers. pretty cool, too. Doobie Brothers, What a Fool Believes, is in the top 100 right now. There. Can you believe it? Yeah. That's not what you would expect because that is such a rock and roll song. But they it got crossed over. It, over, but it crossed over. Show and tell Al yeah. Wilson. I absolutely love that song. Ooh, Child by yeah. the Five Stair Steps. Oh, my, oh God. my God. Oh, my God. I'm thinking about all the songs that now are jumping into my head. The Chairman of the Board, the Hughes yeah. Corporation. War by Edwin Starrs, 90. I can't believe it's that low, but look at this list. And it's an amazing Lady list. Lady Marmalade by Patti LaBelle. Look, if, you're, if your song is on that list... It's memorable. It's for you know. It's one of those things. It's, it's one of those soul tracks. Is a pretty Lou good Rawls. gauge. Lou Ross. Lou fucking Ross. Man, those songs were not the hippest thing in the world. But mom could dig them. You could listen to them, and then you could go back listen to your Stones and CCR. 
you know. But it, it, it was different. We were a lot more open to it. And I think musically, uh, a lot of people stay in their lanes uh, these days more. And I don't know that that's the healthiest thing. Kids, go find this uh, list. I'll post it up on the Facebook page. You have to post it When up I say on our kids, Facebook. those of you, I mean those of you in your 40s. Yep, those of um, you in your 40s. Anybody who listens, if you have your, your children, share 30s. this list with your children. Share this list of and songs. And just make with a playlist play out of it. Play it around the house. Yeah. Go find it and, and, and just spend a little time with it. And I think what you're going to find is you're going to discover a lot of really cool music. Oh, you yeah. may not like all of it, but you're going to discover a lot of really cool music. And if you're older, you might rediscover songs that you remember. I do it all the time. You never know when a great song is going to pop out of the radio and be the perfect thing to accompany your day. And boy, it's going to trigger some incredible memories as well. Dude, this was fun. Oh, yeah. I, uh, I, I I feel brain cells in the back of my head, little pinpoints going off about all these different memories that go oh, along yeah. with some of these songs. Uh, you know, whether it was borrowing mom's car and taking the girlfriend out on a night, driving to her place, uh, working at the deli in the back, you know, when I was working as a dishwasher or a busboy at the deli and hearing song, these songs on the radio. Yeah. Just great memories. And, Sneaking uh, out of the house with your friends. Yep. What's that? Sneaking out of the house yeah. when your parents are asleep. Night yeah. games with your friends. Sure. Kick the can, ghost in the graveyard. Neighborhood campouts. Oh, yeah. Stuff. Ghost stories with flashlights. And you know what? Some of our younger listeners are now going, what the fuck are they talking about? But Rotary dial phones. Oh, my God. <laughs> they think push button phones that were hanging on the wall are old stuff so oh, yeah. well it's not to be a nostalgia thing but we uh, do thank all of you for tuning in we just want to take a look back at the R&B of the 70s on what is now our 12th episode uh, one last time want to tell people how they can be in touch love to it's email imbalancedhistory at gmail.com our Facebook page imbalanced history of rock and roll our website imbalancedhistory.com where you can also sign up to pick up our podcasts in Apple iTunes and Google Play and you can subscribe to receive emails and please check our Facebook page regularly yep. we post a lot of stuff up there and we definitely want to talk about the soul experiences with you online and if you're really enjoying the podcast make sure you tell a friend especially if you have friends who uh, check out podcasts online we appreciate anything you could do to help us grow so we can still get to continue to do this. That's the idea, right? Do this long enough and it should become uh, a staple yes. for us and for them, hopefully. And if you have ideas or suggestions for branches of the Rock and Roll Family Tree, we would love to learn and explore. Yeah. And we'll share books. Uh, we'll share blogs with you. We'll share a lot of moments with you. So please check our website out and check our Facebook page out as well. The Imbalance History of Rock and Roll is a production of Dark Doc Media. I'm one of your crazy hosts, Ray Coob. I'm Marcus in the Darkest. And we'll catch you next time here on the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. 
and why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.